0: Our scripture today comes from Psalm 75. To the choirmaster, according to Do Not Destroy, a psalm of Asaph, a psalm. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. Selah. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed and he pours out from it and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up.
1: Heavenly Father, we just come into your presence now and thank you for for drawing us to you. No matter what's been going on around us today or in this past week, God, thank you for reminding us that we're constantly surrounded by you. You're here now. You're here to speak into our hearts. You're here to convict us of sin. You're here to point out anything that might be standing between us and you. You you surround us with your love and you're you're drawing us to yourself right now God and we celebrate that and we continue to worship you now through your word in Jesus name. Amen. So I invite you to take your Bible and open with me to Psalm 75. Um, we're in a section of the Psalms <clears throat> that sometimes can can, can be sad and because that's a, a reality of life. But Psalm 75 is kind of a, a, a crescendo in the middle of the sadness around this group of, of psalms. And so that's where we find ourselves today. And so keep your Bible open to Psalm 75 as we walk through and find encouragement from the Lord today. When, when I was in seminary, Uh, there was this little eight-year-old boy that lived a block away from us in the same complex that we lived in. His name was Jeremy Gates. And Jeremy Gates asked me one day, eight-year-old boy looks at me and says, Mr. Ronnie, why do you laugh so much? (laughs) Well, I took that as a compliment because my nature has always been to to look at the bright side of things. I know that uh, people think that they would laugh more if only they had more money. People think they would laugh more if only they had more talent. People think they would laugh more if they thought they were better looking. People think they would laugh more if they had a better job and their circumstances were better. Well, our, our seminary experience was, um, was incredible, although it was some of the most meager and Humbling days of our life in ministry. But we learned valuable lessons that are still with us today, even though we were in seminary a number of years ago. Lessons like more is not always better. So today we live in desperate times, and even though times are tough, Sometimes it's good to laugh in the midst of the struggles and the desperation that's going on and allow God to lift our spirit through laughter. But most people today are desperate and have a hard time laughing. It's it's hard to laugh when when the world seems to be falling apart. And that's where the psalmist takes us today. See, most often people make self-centered choices. And self-centered choices create desperation, not only in the life of that person, but in the lives of people around us. The tune for this song is set according to the superscript as, Do Not Destroy. Uh, It was also used by David in a number of psalms, like Psalm 57 and 58 and 59 that we looked at a year or so ago. Tunes have a way of sticking in our minds, don't they? Tunes have a way of reminding us of lyrics that kind of move our soul. And if we're feeling in despair, those lyrics take us deeper in despair. If we're, if we're living on the up and right side, it takes us there. No one really knows what this tune was, but it was significant, and it's in the superscript. It, it moved God's worship leaders to cry out to God in desperation. And also, according to the superscript, this psalm was written by Asaph. We've looked at Asaph the last few weeks, and we've learned that he and his heirs were not only masterful musicians, but they were also extremely prophetical and we're going to see some of that prophecy come out in this psalm today as well as see how relevant psalm 75 is for 2021 so it asks an important question where is God what should I do when life seems desperate well there are five things this psalm points us to. So let's look at them. First of all, when life is desperate, number one, thank God for His presence and blessings. In Psalm 75, verse 1, now remember, the psalmist had seen the center of his worship destroyed. Jerusalem had been flattened. The temple had been chopped to pieces with axes and then burned And in his heart, he felt a desperation. But in his desperation, look at verse 1 of Psalm 75. We give thanks to you, God. We give thanks to you, for your name is near. It reminds me of another passage way over in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. The Bible says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God... Must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So, what's the reward for putting your faith in the name of God? Putting your faith in the presence of God? Well, the name of God carries with it the reputation of God, His character, His attributes all the wonderful things that that God is. And the psalmist affirmed God's presence. He was thankful that God's name represented His presence. And when he called out to the name of God, he was literally calling God to accept Him in His very presence. Have Have you done that today? Have you reached out to God and... And called him into your presence. He is surrounding you. He's available to you. So like the psalmist. When desperate times come. I would encourage you to recognize that you're surrounded by the presence of God. And bring your life away from your circumstances into the presence of God. Worship begins with recognizing who God is. In short summary, God is our loving Father. God is our humble Savior. God is our guiding Spirit. And among all the other attributes of God, when you call Him into your presence as the perfect Father and the humble Son and the guiding Holy Spirit, your life can worship Him. Regardless of your circumstances, you can lift up praise to him like the psalmist does. So do you know him? Do you know him personally? I don't I'm not asking, do you know about him? Obviously, you know about God or you wouldn't be here, but do you know him personally? Do you know him intimately as a loving father and as a humble son and as a guiding spirit in your life? And are you expressing thanks to God for His presence? What does it take to truly thank God for His presence? Let me just give you some suggestions. The the, the list could go on forever, but let me just give you some suggestions of of what it means to, to thank God for His presence. First of all, it means to be totally honest with your relationship with Him. Have you talked to Him today? Have you listened to Him as He has spoken into your life today? You're surrounded by Him, so don't miss Him. Invite Him into your presence. Enjoy that relationship with Him. Make time to listen and feel the presence of God. I mean, mean, we live in a busy time. A lot of distractions, a lot of hustle-bustle going on around us. And it's so easy to get caught up that we fail to listen for the presence of God speaking into our lives. It means that you admit that your spirit might be broken and that you might be vulnerable in some areas. But the more vulnerable you are before God and the more honest you are with Him, the more available He is to you. You're at a place where you can listen to Him and hear Him. Embrace grieving and loss. Let Him speak into your grief. Let Him speak into the loss that you may be feeling in a relationship or in some object that you have given up or lost or has moved away from you or whatever. The point is, slow down long enough To be intentional. And let the integrity of your life be your relationship with God. You know what integrity is. Integrity is what holds a building together. When an earthquake comes or a hurricane comes, integrity is what holds a building together. So if you're experiencing some kind of loss, some kind of desperation, let God hold you together. 75.1 says, we give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks to you, for your name is near. And then he adds another phrase. He says, we recount your wondrous deeds. Now, this is where this psalm really hits the heart. Because in desperate times, this psalmist leads us to give thanks to God for his deeds even when the psalmist didn't feel the presence of god he looked back and he recounted god's wondrous deeds and it drew him into the presence of god the same is true for you the song we just sang where where does the breath come from that you breathe it comes from god what what keeps your heart beating god keeps your heart beating Every blessing that you have comes from God. And when you recount that, you're drawn into His presence. Chuck Swindoll once shared a portion of a letter that he received after speaking at a conference. This is a quote from that letter. After your talk last night, I was enjoying some relaxed moments with friends I met here. I told them I got married at age 31 and went on to raise 12 kids. I didn't worry about getting married. I left my future in the hands of God. But I must tell you, every night I hung a pair of men's pants on my bed and knelt to pray this prayer. Father in heaven, hear my prayer. Grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Fill them with a man. (laughs) And obviously for her it worked. You know, 12 kids later. She was sincerely thanking God for blessings. After sharing that, though, here's the kicker. After sharing that with his congregation the next week, Swindoll received another note from a mother who was not in the service, but her older teenage son was in that service. Here's what this letter said. Dear Chuck, I'm wondering if I should be worried about something. It has to do with my son. For the last two weeks, I've noticed that before he turns out the lights and goes to sleep at night, he hangs a bikini over the foot of the bed. (laughs) Should I be concerned about this? (laughs) Will it actually work for him? Because according to Swindoll, uh, eventually the son married and had two beautiful children. My point is that blessings come to us in all kinds of shapes and forms. And when we focus on our blessing, our life of desperation turns to praise in the presence of God for His blessings. I honestly believe that that life is too short for us to dwell on the negative. Secondly, though, when life is desperate, believe God for victory. In verses 2 and 3, we see this. Verse 2 says, at the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. So, we're, we're given some information about God that we need to know. Teenagers, you need to know this. Parents, you need to know this. Retired people, you need to know this. The psalmist was affirmed in the fact that God judges uprightly. Only God has the right to judge because only God is perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. So we don't have the right to judge, but only God has the right to judge because only God is perfect. He knows everything, He makes no mistakes. And God will settle the score. We'll come back to this in verse 7. But he moves on. He says that even though everything looks like it's fallen apart on this world, for the psalmist, he continued to put his faith in God for victory. Look at verse 3. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. Selah. Think about these things. So God upholds everything. It may seem that the world has fallen apart, and it is, except for the fact that God is holding it together. He is totally in charge. In 1968, a movie came out, a science fiction movie titled Planet of the Apes, and I couldn't wait to get to the movie theater to see that on the, the big screen. From what I remember, the film was basically about who controls life. There there was a lead character, an astronaut. His last name was Taylor. And he was reflecting on how selfish everyone is on Earth. And he said, and I quote, There has to be something better out there than man. End of quote. And he was exactly right. He was probably off base who he thought that something better was or someone better was. But he was exactly right about the point. At some point, you have to understand that there is something better. And that something is someone who is bigger and better than you and me. And we're called to understand that we're surrounded by him. He's there to hold us together when we feel like We're falling apart. Victory over desperation comes by believing God for the victory. So put your trust in the one who steadies the pillars in the language of the psalmist. Thirdly, when life is desperate, submit to God's control. Key word, big word, submit. We don't like to do that do we in verse 4 the psalmist says I say to the boastful do not boast and to the wicked do not lift up your horn do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck so what's a horn what is he talking about when he says do not lift up your horn do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck I believe this is a a, a reference to pride and arrogance and stubbornness. Uh, Many scholars, great Bible exposers, including Charles Spurgeon, agree that the horn is a symbol of honor and strength. But when it's possessed by pride and arrogance, the horn is said to be cut down and humbled. Are you aware that 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 one of the deadliest vices that we have as human beings is arrogance, pride it's like you know an animal when you 're trying to put a bridle or uh, a harness on an animal, what does the animal do? He holds his head up high those who are around horses you know you 've seen this happen the, the horse will throw his head he doesn 't want the bridle in his mouth he doesn 't want the harness. Uh, my 10-pound dog does that. I mean, if he doesn't want to have the, the harness put on, he, he holds his head up, you know. And that's the picture here. Our pride displays the arrogant spirit, the stubborn spirit that we have. No thanks, God. I don't need any help from you, God. I can make it by myself. I'm tired of hearing what you have to say, God. No thanks. I mean, the, the, the arrogant spirit lifting up our horns. But the Bible says here that that's not going to work. That's not going to work. So are you willing to submit to God's control? Life is desperate and will continue to be desperate for those who refuse to surrender and submit to God's control. Well, what does defiance look like? Let me give you a few examples of what defiance might look like. Defiance might look like refusing to admit that I was wrong. Defiance might look like refusing to confess and repent for a critical spirit that I might have. Defiance might look like refusing to accept a person who has a different point of view from me. See, you can can love a person... And accept a person without accepting their views, according to scriptures. Defiance might look like refusing to admit to being addicted to substance abuse or pornography. Defiance might look like refusing to admit neglecting your own family in the name of serving the Lord. Defiance might look like refusing to admit bitterness and resentment and that even being toward a pastor or a leader in the church. Defiance might look like refusing to admit and confess that you're using prayer as a means of gossip. Defiance might look like refusing to prioritize time To be in a small group, uh, an accountable structure, refusing to be transparent about your own struggles, even around Christian people. Pride and arrogance are subtle. I don't know about you, but I know my heart. And often, I'm blind to pride and arrogance in my own life, unless somebody is bold enough to point it out and I appreciate people pointing out pride and arrogance in my life and helping me be exposed I remember a number of years ago I was being really vulnerable in the message that I was preaching and in the context of that message I shared that man I'd had one of the worst weeks of my life in the prior week that next week one of our pastors pulled me aside and said Ronnie Why didn't you tell me you were having a rough week? I was busted. I mean, I had no answer for that. It was pride. It was arrogance, thinking that I could make it through without any help from anyone else. So when life is desperate, how willing are you to submit to God's control? Then fourthly, when life is desperate... The psalmist teaches us to trust God's judgment. We see this in verse 6. He says, not from the east or from the west, not from the wilderness comes lifting up. Verse 7, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. So we come back to this idea of judgment. No matter who someone is, where they're from, or what kind of influence they may have over your life. No one is to be exalted above God. We all have people in our life that we like to impress. We all have people in our life that, if they don't say something good about us, if they don't encourage us, then we feel let down. That should never happen because No one should be lifting me up except God Himself. He's the only one who has has the, the power to do that and the right to do that. No one should be holding you up but God Himself. And when I'm walking with God with integrity, and I'm allowing Him to hold me up, I don't need anybody else to hold me up. Not from the east or from the west or from the wilderness. Nobody else. Only God. So when you trust a person or a government or a job or an inheritance or anything to hold you up, you're putting yourself in a desperate situation. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to live there. Because only God can hold you up. God alone has the right to judge. Because God alone is perfect. He's the one who created everything. And he holds everything together. Verse 8 says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. So in the Hebrew thought, in the Hebrew mind, the cup was equivalent to judgment. Anytime you see a reference to the cup in the Bible, it's talking about judgment. He says, a cup with foaming wine, well mixed. That means that that God executes judgment and God institutes punishment upon all sin. Now, the psalmist kind of dropped a bomb in the middle of our lives with this statement. Because judgment will be executed upon every wicked sinner. No exceptions. Zero exceptions. No exceptions. If you've ever been abused... Or if you've ever been severely wronged by someone and it seemed that that person just walked away scot-free, don't you ever believe that? God is going to settle the score. Take heart. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. The Bible says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Promise from God. You don't have to get revenge for being harmed. I have counseled with hundreds of people who have let resentment kill them because they wouldn't let God be the judge. They wouldn't let God be the avenger. And they tried to take it on themselves and it Destroyed their physical health. It destroyed them physically. The psalmist promises that judgment will be executed upon every wicked sinner. Verse 8: All the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. So God's judgment can be trusted because God is consistent, He doesn't make mistakes, He's sovereign. My heart, and here's where it gets a little bit painful, because my heart and your heart, sinful, wicked. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Have you ever thought after you did something crazy, stupid, sinful, where did that come from? Well, it came from the wicked heart that we all have. That's where it came from. Do you see the dilemma here? The dilemma is that, In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, the Bible says none is righteous. No, not one. I'm not righteous. You're not righteous. No one is righteous. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's me. That's you. That means that you and I and everyone who has ever lived are under God's judgment to the dregs. Every last bit of judgment is upon us. Romans 6.23 says that you earn for your wickedness the judgment and eternal punishment and separated, separation from God. God chose though To drink that judgment for you and me. He chose to take on himself, this is the great news, he chose to become sin for us. I don't know if we can, I don't know how we can comprehend that, that every wickedness of our heart was placed upon God. And he chose to be executed for you and me and take our judgment upon himself. He didn't have to do that. He did that because he loves us so much in the garden. Remember the first part of this year we studied Mark. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus is having that conversation with himself. And this shows how human Jesus really was. It's hard for us to comprehend the fact that, you know, we're talking about a person just like you and me, fully man. And in the garden, the night before he was crucified in order to take on himself the judgment that I deserve for my sin and that you deserve for your sin. Here's what Jesus cried out. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup. See, there it is. The judgment. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So here's the picture I want us to get. Jesus, the man, 100% man, was in a desperate situation. He had never sinned. And he knew that he had created the plan to take upon himself the judgment for your sin and my sin. That's how much he loves us. This really happened. He cried out the most tender expression that a person, you're talking about calling on the name of God in the first part of this psalm. Jesus said, Abba, Daddy, Papa, Father, please let this cup pass for me. And yet he was willing to drink the cup to the dregs. Every last drop, the scoffers called him. Say, come down from the cross. If you're God, come down from the cross. He could have. Why didn't he come down? He wanted to take every drop of punishment for you and me. To satisfy the judgment before a holy and righteous God for your sin and my sin. So again, Romans 6.23 says that he died for you and exchanged your judgment for eternal life for salvation. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Is your life in Jesus? Have you prayed and said, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. Set me free. Thank you for taking the punishment for my sin. I accept the gift. And have you made it yours? Have you made salvation your free gift of God? God's judgment is fair. His judgment is just. His judgment is complete. And Jesus drained the cup of judgment down to the dregs for you and me. You see it? God, the just judge, loves you that much. He literally died for you and invites you to accept his salvation. Nobody can do that for you. You can only do it for yourself. And I trust and pray that you have received that gift. Finally, when life is desperate, share God's glory. When He has set you free from the penalty of your sin, you can't help but get excited and share His glory. In verse 9, But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off. But the horns of righteous, of the righteous shall be lifted up. Now this is the, the third and fourth time that we've seen this mention of horns here. Horns represent the achievements that we've had in life. The crowns that we wear in life. What we've accomplished in life. And what the psalmist says here is that the, the only appropriate response to God's mercy It's to sing praises to Him. In other words, the, the glory that we have is singing our praises to Him. We lift up our horns to Him and we sing praise to Him because of His great mercy and grace that He has shared with us. But look at this verse. God will humble all who refuse His precious gift. That means that Everything you think you're living for on this earth, all the gusto that you think you're gaining from life on this earth, is going to be cut out from under you if you don't humble yourself before God. It's going to be taken away. It's going to be destroyed. God will humble all who refuse this precious gift, but He will reward those who receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the free gift of God. Have you received it? Have you done that? Have you come to the place where you know that your eternity is in Jesus Christ, not in your works. You can't work your way to heaven. It's in Jesus Christ. That will accept you, that will bring you into God's presence and allow God's presence to control your life and be part of your life. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. No birthdays are fun, and we've had a couple in our family over the last few weeks, and it's a great feeling, isn't it, when you receive a gift from someone you love or when you give a gift to someone that you love. I want us to understand this. That the greatest gift that's ever been offered to mankind is the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. God's given you the invitation. Some of you here today are hearing God knock at your heart's door and saying, Open up your heart to me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. God's knocking at your door. He's sending you an invitation. Don't walk away without receiving that gift of salvation that he's offering you today. This is an awfully encouraging psalm because it tells us how much God loves us and what God has done for us. There are three application points I want to leave us with today. Number one, God upholds the righteous. He does. He upholds the righteous. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Here's what that means. Every morning when you wake up or sometime during the day, most people look in a mirror. What do you see when you look in that mirror? Well, you see a reflection of yourself. God's Word tells us that when we are in Christ, when we have received the invitation to ask Jesus Christ into our life and become our Savior, When we look into God's mirror, God sees the face of Jesus. Because we are in Him. And when we are in Him, what God sees is Jesus. We are accepted. And God upholds the righteous. Secondly, God rules with sovereign judgment. He doesn't make any mistakes. God rules with sovereign judgment. So what does judgment mean? Well, it mean, what mean? well, it means that we have to give an account one day for ourselves. Not for someone else around us. We have to give an account for ourselves before all-knowing, perfect, holy God. We're going to stand before Him in judgment one day. And just like today, He's given you invitation after invitation after invitation to give your life to Him. On your own, when you stand before Him one day, you're going to be hopeless. But in Christ Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you're going to be judged as accepted because of His mercy and His grace for what He has done. I recently read a story in Randy Alcorn's book entitled Heaven. It reminds me of this point. There was a lady on the west coast in Seattle, I think, was invited to sing at a billionaire's wedding. And she gladly accepted, and she carried her husband with her. They went, and she sang at the wedding ceremony. And after the ceremony, they had been invited to come up for the reception at the billionaire's mansion. And so they got in the car, they drove to the mansion. They were so excited. They'd never been in a a setting like this before. They drove up the hill and finally arrived at the mansion and left their car, went up to the door, walked up the first stairwell, and there was a receptionist at the top of the stairs holding a book. And he said, may I have your name, please? And. The receptionist looked in the book and went down the list and went down the list again and went down the list again and said, "I'm sorry, your name is not in the book." And he looked over and he called a guard and he said, "Escort this couple to the service elevator." On the way to the service elevator, the lady looked at the guard and said, "But sir, we sang. I sang at the wedding." They could hear the festivities going on inside the ballroom. The guard went straight to the elevator with them, put them on the elevator, carried them down the elevator out to the car on the way out of the parking lot. The singer was weeping. And the husband looked at her and as he drove away said, What just happened? How could this be? And the lady said, well, when I received the invitation, I knew I was singing at the wedding. And so I never replied to the invitation. I never responded to the invitation. Is your name in the book? God has given you an invitation. And with His sovereign judgment, He has said that, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Unless you're in Jesus, you have no future in heaven. Your horns will be cut off. God rules with sovereign judgment. Make sure today your name is in the book. And finally... God is worthy of highest praise. I want to invite you at this point to take your communion set and take the wrapper off and take the bread and hold the bread in one hand and go ahead and just open up the cup and hold it in your other hand. You've got the bread in one hand and the cup in the other hand. As we remember that God is worthy of highest praise. Remember that line from the astronaut. There has to be something better out there than man. That something is someone better and bigger than you and me. And he's done everything he can possibly do to invite you into his presence. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And his invitation is wide open arms saying, come to me, repent, turn away from your sin and turn to me. And I'll give you a crown of righteousness. I'll lift up your horns, promise from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, these are the words from Jesus. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He drank the cup of judgment to the dregs, every drop of it for you and me. And now he's inviting us into his presence. And for all of you today whose name is in the book, this is significant. Because we celebrate what Jesus asked us to do. And that's remember Him until He comes. Father, thank You for dying for us. What else can we do but say thank You? And as we eat this bread and drink this cup today, God, I pray that we will remember every sacrifice that you made for us so we could enter into your presence. Not only be surrounded by your presence, but enter into your presence. Not only be invited to life with you, but accept that invitation. God, for those of us who've done that now, we obediently eat the bread and drink the cup until you come again, in Jesus' name. And Father, once again, thank you. That's all I know how to say, is just thank you for the great God that you are, The great judge that you are. Thank you that in judging my wickedness and the wickedness of the heart of every human being, only in your mercy and by your grace are we set free. And today we thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you that we can worship and lift up your name And know that regardless of how desperate things may seem around us, we're secure. We're safe in the arms of Jesus. And that's where we want to worship now, in Jesus' name. Amen.